Welcome, my friends, to our seance where we try to commune with the spirit of Agatha. Of that, fuck. Let me do that again. That's a. If we were still doing bloopers to send to Jeremy, that would have been one of them. All right. Welcome, my friends, to the special edition of the Fake Nerd Podcast Cinephiles, where today, myself, Brandon T. McClure, and Sparks Rudy will be doing a seance to commune with the spirit of Agatha Christie to see how she likes her the adaptation of her book, A Halloween Party, but they changed the title to A Haunting in Venice. Now let us virtually join hands and close our eyes. Hold on. Wait, hold on. Wait, can you please, can you raise your arm up a little bit more, Sparks? Yeah, yeah, other arm. Yeah, other, other arm. Other one. Yeah. Wait, All right, there we go. All right, Ben. Okay, there. Yep, there we go. There we go. Right. We a, okay. okay. Audio listeners are so amused. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start with it. Anyways, hey guys, we're here to talk about uh, we're here to talk about a haunting event. One of the the newest uh, Kenneth Branagh Hercule Poirot film, the third one of his, I guess. I don't know what to call. I don't know what to. It's not really a renaissance, but it's more of a like just him having, I guess, having fun with this character because it's you know, him doing what he's always wanted to do, I guess, because that's yeah. what it feels like. Yeah. And like I said, I enjoy with Brandy McClure and Sparks Witty. So, guys, what'd you guys think of a haunting in Venice? Well, first, oh, yeah, Brandy, you, you got the credits. You did say it was that you did say it was Kenneth Branagh already. It's directed by Kenneth Branagh, just like the first three, just like the first two. Also written by Michael Green, just like the first two. Um, and uh, uh, this time they are not adapting; they are not straight adapting a book as was Murder on the Orient Express or Death on the Nile. They are they've they've taken some liberties, but it is mostly an adaptation of Halloween Party written by Agatha Christie. Um, but yeah. Uh, uh, so to answer your question, Ben, I quite liked this one. I like it about as much as Murder on the Orient Express. I believe I'm the person who liked Murder on the Orient Express the most of this group. Um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. I had a great had a great time, especially after Death of the Nile, which I am the only person to have seen that movie um, on the in this group. Uh, and boy, howdy, is that a terrible movie? So I am so happy to have a good one. Yeah, Brandon always quantifies it like I'm the only person who sat through that movie, and I'm like, the rest of us didn't because you told us not to. Yeah, <laughs> I don't we want were, you to. Don't do we it. Were, we were actively warned by Brandon when that movie came out. He straight Be real. Told us, Ryan was not seeing it anyway. Yeah, Ryan wasn't gonna see it anyway, but he straight because myself and my fiance were like, okay, maybe we'll go see because I because I saw Murder on the Orient Express with Brandon, and I also really enjoyed it. That was actually my very first time viewing because the Murder on the Orient Express. Because I know that um, book has been adapted quite a few times over the years, so that was my first iteration of it. And I hear that about a sequel, Death on Now. I'm like, oh, cool, because I like Kenneth Bra- Brana as Hercule Poirot. The mustache is amazing, and I'm like, yeah, I'd like to go see it. But then the second Brandon said, "Don't go see Death on Now because it is a terrible movie," I'm like, you know what? I trust this guy; he knows his movies, so I'm gonna stay far, far away from it. <laughs> Bold, he knows his movies. <laughs> you do. Um, I appreciate that. Sparks, what did you think about this one? Uh, I think it's unquestionably the best of the three. Yeah. Yeah, um, I second that. Pretty pretty strongly. Uh, I mean, obviously I say that without seeing Death on the Nile, but like, do I need to see Death on the Nile to know that's true? No. And actually, you don't need to see Death on the Nile to understand this film. He does retire at the end of Death on the Nile, and that's really the only thing that makes that kind of builds off of this film, and otherwise you don't really give a shit. It didn't matter. Like, he could have yeah. retired. You could, this could be your first one, and that wouldn't, that fact wouldn't matter. Like yeah. you get you get start like uh okay, like you get established like he's good at this, but he's retired. Like you could start here, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Which is there's, one of the um, nice things about doing the Poro stories is that there's not such like strict like continuity for him as a person that mm-hmm. you need to have seen previous entries. Like you could just go in on a good mystery. Um a- a lot of his a lot of his mentality of i will say a lot of his mentality of you know everyone is evil this isn't you know there you know every, there's there there's no good like this whole like kind of idea that he has in this movie coming into it where he's like there's really no good in this world and i just want to be left alone and blah blah, blah. that all kind of comes from books murder and from the last movie um and death on the nile his friend from the first movie is murdered um 
by by the by the villain of that film and that that so that's that is kind of interesting it does kind of heighten the experience in a way that like you probably you still get the context but like if you if you've seen the context it does kind of uh, kind of elevates mm-hmm. the wrong word but it does kind of help a little bit to to get kind of into Poirot's mindset and i did appreciate that that is there but as sparks is saying there's no it's very standalone you can just really jump in yeah also, more when i go ahead ben now, I was going to say to add to that, because he does mention in the very beginning of the film, he also mentions that he lived through two wars and who knows what kind of atrocities he saw, both World War One and World War Two. Um, and also just FYI, I forgot we forgot I forgot to say at the very beginning, uh, full spoilers, BT dubs. Well, oh, yes, full spoilers. At this point, uh, it's probably um, I, I think more more what I want to emphasize is that this movie in particular does a good job of leaving you emotionally connected to the characters it's it's not relevant to know anything before like Mm -hmm. i can connect as just as well to poirot in the place that he is through the material they give me here i'm sure it'd be like i know the specific reason now uh if i watch death on the nile but like without the specificity the emotional value of it is the same right uh which is a credit to what this film's doing. And I think, um, as you just mentioned, Ben, with the war stuff, um, being so deeply a post-war story is one of the reasons I like this movie so much, um, because that's such a factor at play for so many different people. Um, It's that, and comparing, it's been a while, but comparing to Murder on the Orient Express, one of my things was, I didn't think that was very good self-direction from Kenneth Branagh was one of my big problems with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he got lost in the sauce on directing himself and wasn't as strong handed with the rest of the cast. That was a good cast, but the direction was lacking. I think the direction is much, much better here. Um, Both from a style standpoint and from a focus on the whole cast. I don't feel like it's, the Poirot show featuring. I feel like it's very well balanced uh, and really utilizing the talents of everyone that's there, which I know is something I didn't feel like was done fully in Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, I I would agree with that pretty much wholeheartedly. Um, I, 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 I find it so fascinating how Kenneth Branagh directed this film in the sense that it, when we saw, we talked about when, the, when we were able to talk about the trailers, like it doesn't, feel like a traditionally kind of Branagh directed film the way he's able to edit the film the way the well I'm sure he's not the editor but like the, the editing of the film is much different than the first two um the the angles he uses much different like everything shots, here is yeah. it, everything here it, it feels like a different director has come in but it, it's still kind of Branagh and that kind of I appreciate that kind of like dedication to be like I want to do this as a horror movie but in order to do that, I can't direct it the same way I've directed the first two. Yeah. So that kind of like allowing him to be malleable to create something to to go out of his uh, out of his comfort zone and, and do something. And I think it's it's wholeheartedly successful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really and I'm sure I 100 percent know for a fact Kenneth Branagh has seen this movie. Um, there's a older film called Don't Look Now, um, mm-hmm. which is a classic film that's shot almost entirely in Venice. Um, it is a light horror film, uh, more kind of suspense than horror, but but a horror. Um, and there's a lot of wanting to capture the sense of um, that period, which that's like the 60s, uh, 60s, 70s, um, that period of filmmaking in uh, this style of horror film. And I feel like there's a lot of that. There's a lot of creative choices here. I think that's the thing is that as a director, he feels less asleep at the wheel to me than mm-hmm. I think he kind of did. He I, not asleep at the wheel, but like he was very he was only very creative. I thought as a performer in Murder, and less so as a director. I think he was very straightforward as a director with Murder. Mm-hmm. And again, I can't really reference Seth on the Nile. This feels like a lot of creative directive decisions, mm-hmm. which doesn't leave his performance lacking either. Um, but but he's. But he feels far more engaged as a director this time around. And he's able to be, what's so interesting about that is that, you, you know, I do think you're, I do think there's something to be said about 
about what you're saying with the fact that in murder he's not um he he he's mostly focused on himself on his own performance um and here he's able to be vulnerable in a way that he's he hasn't been in the first two films um while also doing these kind of this kind of like intentional directing that i didn't know he had it in him um and I think he delivers probably his best performance as Poirot in this film. Yeah. Um, and it's also his best directed. Like it's, it's, it's quite a triumph, like on all, on all feats. Like, and, and I think probably he's able to deliver his best performance because he's also allowing the other actors to deliver good performances. He's, 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 he's being um, a much more, malleable director in that and, and performer in that way allowing other people to take the spotlight away from him at times um and and it creates such an engaging mystery because of that because we are so engaged in what everyone else is doing at the times that they're doing and while paro is still the main character of this story um everyone else feels fully fleshed out and like they are full realized characters on their own yeah uh i agree with that that 100 i think that that's whether it's comfortability with the performance at this point, where he feels like he's more confident about Poirot as a performer, so he doesn't have to think about it as much, which allows him to think more as a director, or it's because of the change in genre, because of the change in, in setting, um, that brought out something more creative. It could be a combination. Um, uh, because of the nature of the story, he's allowed to give a more um, subtle performance at times, not the whole time, but, but at times that mm -hmm. I don't think has been allowed again. I don't know about death on the Nile, but certainly not murder, not as much. Um, that subtlety, uh, wasn't as present and it could be a combination of all these things, but whatever it is, it really, really works here. Um, this is the most that like Kenneth Branagh's character of Poirot and his direction for the, for the films has like really sung together as a whole piece. And it is like sharing in that, performance with the other actors that i feel like whether it's whether it's how he's interacting with them as an actor or it's how he must have considered them more in the direction and encouraged them to, to go certain places um like it, it, notably every almost every actor in here has a scene where they're either crying or almost crying mm -hmm. like every single one of them is given like a really full moment and i'm like you don't get a full performance moment like that, unless the director is like pushing for it and championing it. Um, so th there's, there's just seems a lot more consideration for that kind of thing brought to this piece. It's so interesting that he decided to do this as a horror film, just in general. Like I, I I'm, I'm not familiar with Halloween party. Um, it's, I think it's a short story. I don't think it's a full, it's a full length book, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's so interesting that he approached this as I want to, I want to I, I know, I, I wish we could have gotten press for this movie. Um, and it, it's such a shame that we couldn't because like, um, obviously great. It's great that at this point that we're recording, both strikes have been resolved with looking like great deals for both the WGA and SAG-AFTRA. Um, I want to hear what Kenneth Branagh has to say about this film, about the decision to turn this into a horror film, because I'm so curious why, he wanted to go so different than the first two yeah. films. Was it because he heard, he's heard the criticisms and he thought this was the only way that could, that this could happen. Or was it because he was genuinely intrigued by, do, by, by doing something challenging? I really want to know what that is uh, because it is so fascinating. This film just from the jump, when this was announced, I was fascinated by it. Cause I was like, why? why? Yeah. I'm when, intrigued, but like, why? When they, I first saw the trailer for this and it's like, you know, the title or even when I first saw the poster and it was just a haunting event. I'm like, okay, cool. Spooky movie set in Venice. And then I see Hercule Poirot, Kenneth Branagh's character. I'm like, no way. That's my favorite. It's I, my favorite trailer of the year is when it's a horror movie. And then Poirot is the jump scare of the movie. Because yeah. you're yeah. like, what the, what the hell? It's, What's like, that? it's not just, it's not just the jump scare. It's the fact that it's like, you're like, is this like a crossover? I, I honestly thought, that this was like a different crossover. This wasn't a Hercule Poirot movie. It was just a movie that Hercule Poirot just happened to be in. I don't know, but it was just such a, because the whole time I watched the trailer, I was like, this can't, this, I'm like, okay, cool. Spooky movie, seance, ghost stuff, Michelle Yeoh, yay. And then you see Kenneth Brada. I'm like, no way. 
this isn't what I, th-. and then he's like, no, that there's a murder. I was like, Oh shit. Uh, and yeah. act and, to echo what um sparks uh said earlier that i also i also think this is the best one of as also as someone who's never seen death on the nile between this and murder on the orient express i think murder on the orient express is a good introduction to the character of hercule perot but haunting in venice is peak it is i i feel bad for kenneth brown of what he of trying to, to follow this one up because i think this one is fantastic yeah, I hope he follows it up with something just as ambitious. Mm-hmm. I do too. I don't know what like, that would uh, be, but I I would like to see it. Yeah, like if he has the opportunity to make another, which he might not, because this just didn't do well, um, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, um, shame. Uh, the best one. Yeah, uh, but but if he is able to follow it up, I I I do hope he's doing something that that engages him just as creatively, um, because you're whether or not it was a response to um diminishing criticism post death of the nile specifically or someone suggesting hey you should do horror or he just really wanted to however he ended up there he clearly liked getting to do something different like you don't again you don't get something so visually distinct uh unless the director is like uh activated <laughs> uh by by the material that they're able to to play with and that really, it's very clear here that while while I believe that Bronach has had a passion for doing the Poirot stories, um, this is the first time that I feel like I, as an audience, have felt he has a passion for making a movie that is alongside the passion for the Poirot stories. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like kind of going back to I think I think Murder on the Orient Express has a really good performance of Poirot in a not my favorite directed film, um, uh, where I think like the balance is off in where his focus is. We we kind of went over that, and I think here you have like strong passion for the character and strong passion for filmmaking that are really singing together, um, and the the physical setting of Venice brings out so much of so many different parts of the film um getting to shoot parts of it in venice it looks gorgeous uh spooky as hell like yeah you you could tell it's filmed it's filmed in venice because you could see the bridge where (laughs) spoilers mission impossible uh elsa dies yeah yeah Uh, uh, venice is venice is gorgeous and when they're able to shoot it like this movie looks looks visually beautiful Um, whether it's the night shots inside the house or daytime uh, out in Venice or like the, the heading of the, the like vintage masks on the kids to go to the Halloween party. Like um, it's very strong. It's very good. I really, really like it. Yeah. One of the things I love about this movie the most is how it's a really good Halloween movie. And I'm not saying that just because it's set on Halloween, it's like, because, it, you, you know, like you have movies like Halloween Town or even Nightmare for Christmas, even where it's like Halloween is a centric um, thought process. It's a central theme of the film. Whereas in this one, it's like, yeah, it's set on Halloween, but it's a spooky night. You got um, a ghost, you got a, a ghost story, a seance gone wrong, a murder mystery. The whole thing just oozes all this Halloween uh, essentially the Halloween vibes, if that makes any well, sense. What's, what's, but, what I think you're picking up on was so interesting about what you're saying that it's it's classic Halloween. It's not mm-hmm. Halloween as it became where, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's like the idea of like, oh, it, this is the time of year when the, the boundaries between the human and the spirit world are thinnest. So mm-hmm. you can so it's easier for Michelle Yeoh as, as the person doing the seance to commune with the spirits. And I think that's it's such an interesting approach because it's so classic and i think that's what you're picking up on because yeah. it, it, it it is halloween centered it is halloween thematically but as it as it existed mm-hmm. almost 100 years ago at this point yeah not necessarily as it exists now right Ex- yeah exactly and i just i really i just love how this film unintentionally became a great halloween film that i would want and it's scary enough that it won't give me nightmares but it's spooky enough that the whole time that when I was watching this movie in the theaters, I was so happy. I was like, this is a great Halloween film. And this is a perfect watch uh, movie to watch during the Halloween season. If you want something, I don't want to say um, horror light, 
but at least something that's scary enough that would give you that good like ooh spooky stuff but it's not like utterly terrifying you know yeah um i really like the opening uh where we get where we introduce to poirot um as with this bodyguard he's not t- he's got people like lying very aggressive bodyguard yeah yeah or he's got he's Just got people- the guy off the bridge <laughs> Um, he's got people lined up, but he's not taking any any calls. He's he's like, I'm not doing any cases anymore. He's still the world famous Poirot, but he's he's retired. He's done. I don't want to deal with any of this anymore because I don't want to have to go into the mind of evil anymore. Is his his whole kind of thing, and um, until he's approached by someone he thinks is a friend, which is Tina Fey's character. Mm-hmm. And what something that really that I that I really like about about the Tina Fey character and the bodyguard is how tragic they end up becoming because it's revealed that they're working together later mm-hmm. on in the film and they're and and they were working with Michelle Yeoh's character um and they 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 did it to they didn't intentionally try to hurt Poirot but Poirot is hurt by this mm-hmm. um because they're because Tina Fey is like everyone's selfish even you're selfish and Poirot's like I don't want to live in that world anymore and and he's and it's such a tragic kind of moment for um kind of to see these people that he considered were friends um to to to, to kind of betray him i i really appreciate how we set up tina fey's character and the bodyguard um how we're we we get there's hints that they're both kind of a little bit too familiar with michelle Yeoh's character a little too familiar with the house like when the like when the bodyguard opens and mm-hmm. I thought home. I thought Tina Fey's finding the bunny moment. I was like, that's that's really on the nose. Like, yeah, yeah. And and so like there, there's hints about it, and until you get to the reveal where even Poirot, he he had realized it early on, but he didn't want to believe it for a moment. He's like, I have to reveal that you guys betrayed me, and like it's really sad for him. And I, I it's a really good moment for him. It's a really good introspective moment. It's really good performancing, and it's really good like setup and. All just like solid stuff. Oh yeah, I I like um, the way the mystery unfolds and everything. Um, but to me, that was a better reveal than the murder reveal. I agree, which I, I, agree. Which I don't think is a problem with the movie. I, I'll say because yeah. I think that the movie's not doing. I don't think the movie's doing a bad job with the murder reveal. I just think that the movie did the correct thing of leaving enough clues that, like, for pretty much for myself and everyone else I knew who was watching, everybody knew who the killer was about halfway yeah. through the movie. Um, uh, like it, it was, it was pretty clear, but like it's because the clues were were present enough that it made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, no, I think I think the fun of a murder mystery is that you should be able to solve it. But I think that's why the uh, the Tina Fey and the bodyguard reveal is is good because not every piece of that was obvious. Yeah. Um, and and like the way that that's tied more more centrally to the emotion of the characters uh you know like the murder reveal is shocking but like most of the characters you're following it's not a personal emotional thing yeah this is yeah that's what i like so much about it because the the moment it's almost devastating like when the mom is when it's revealed that it's the mom who's the murderer um it was unintentional murderers like she didn't mean to kill her daughter um well the part the part that i think is the most brutal about that reveal because just because we're talking about it is um is the um the other woman uh, whose name I forget. Who oh, the the nun? He's actually the, the nun Technically, kills her. Yes. Uh, but didn't know, and the horror and pain that she feels at that revelation—that she she didn't know, but technically it was her. Yeah. Uh, Olga, I think it's Olga Semenov. Right. Yeah, that, that it's a it's a it's it kind of goes to what the theme of the film is for Poirot, which is like the idea that like he doesn't want to live in a world of evil anymore, which is why he retired. He talks about it a lot. Like evil is real and I don't want to be in that world anymore. And so he has this moment where he has to kind of like reconcile with the fact that he is once again, staring down evil, but in different ways in some, and, 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 and accidental murder is not something that he thought he would solve. Um, and he and he has to kind of reconcile with that. He has to reconcile with people being very selfish towards him. He has to reconcile with a mom who is literally insane at this point, 
um, insane with grief and, and, and the idea that she didn't want to uh, lose her child. And, and, and I, I really like how they weave the central theme of this for Poirot into all these characters, how they represent different things that Poirot is going through while also being their own characters. I, you know, this is Michael Green also wrote Death on the Nile, but there's something so different about the way he's writing this film that feels so much more alive and so much more thematically rich than even the past two. And I, I, as much as I like Murder on the Orient Express, which I do a lot, I don't think it's quite as thematically rich as this one is. You can really like, really like mine some stuff out of this film that's not quite on the surface. One sure. of the, one of the things I've been chomping at, uh, not chomping at that, but uh, one of the things that when I was watching this movie and it made me just think about it, and I know Sparks might get mad at me with this analogy, but it felt like a really, really good Scooby-Doo episode. And there's an explanation for that, so... <laughs> Brad is just throwing his. I would in. like to preface to anybody watching this review who has not watched anything we've ever done. He has never seen an episode of Scooby Doo. That is a lie. Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have seen Scooby Doo. I've seen episodes of Scooby. Not one. I've seen a few. I've seen quite a few, and I even watched a few of the movies when they aired on Cartoon Network. I just don't remember which ones, but I know I've seen it. Anyways, back to my point. Obviously, in every episode of Scooby Doo, there's a there's a really good explanation, but throughout the episode or throughout the movie, you always get that sense of, but what if it's real? Oh, As sure. In, I was but what touch if on the too. monster? But what if the the ghost is real? The monster is real. You know, the thing that you just can't explain. That's a very that's a very '90s era change. Everything yeah. pre '90s is that's not really part of Scooby Doo. Okay. Just to be clear. Just to be okay. clear, but but I know where you're going and I like it, but like that mm-hmm. that was a '90s era like okay. uh, interpret like shift. Okay, so I watched a lot of Scooby Doo. I watched or not a lot, but I watched Scooby Doo in the '90s. But my point being is that throughout this whole film, when Kenneth Branagh is going through his hallucinations, where he's seeing the ghosts, he's seeing the children, and of course, because this whole thing is like this is all fake, this isn't real. Like the first scene when he goes into when they go into the seance room and he pulls the guy out of the chimney, I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was like, ha ha, gotcha. But then, like the reveal that he was poisoned by the honey, and he was seeing hallucinations, and that made and that was able to, to connect the dots. But I still love how throughout the whole film, even though it is explained, you're still thinking, but what if? And there's a cool. great scene at the end. There's a great part at the end of the movie which still gives the what if part. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. I wanted to bring that up too. I I. I'll talk about the, 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 I want to, because you brought up the ending just now, I'll just say like, I also really love that. The, the fact of like, was that an hallucination? Like Poirot was like, it was a hallucination. And was like, you probably worked through it by the time that happened. And why did she see it? Like the mom supposedly see it. Like she reacts like she saw it. Um, like she saw Not it, just saw it felt it, felt it. So like what, and she wasn't on honey. Like she wasn't hallucinating all this stuff. Like, so was that real? Was that really her daughter come back from the grave? It, I really left ambiguous because like Poirot is not a world where the supernatural is real, but you can play with it. You can create this idea like, oh, it's the honey. It's the hallucination in the honey that's making him see what he thinks are spirits and little girls and things like uh, like running around the house and like that's and on all these noises. And like the you hear like the the, the wood paneling hitting the the bottom of the floor and that's where like the knocking is coming from from the basement but that moment is like is very much like yeah but what if there was something more and i really liked that i it's one of the things that i really wanted the film to do from the start with the when the marketing came out because i i knew it was going to be a murder mystery thing and i'm like i really hope they leave they do that thing where they leave just like that little bit of like but but was it a ghost yeah um and like i i love that kind of stuff and i think like more more to the point i like that i like the thing with the mom and everything that's the part where like you can be like is the honey or has he not worked it out through his system and everything but the cheeky one that i really like is the last moment which is when the saucer is halfway off the table just like it was in her room at the very end of the movie and yeah he just because he moved it. it back over and i'm like yeah okay movie i get you i see you that's cute (laughs) yeah i like i like that too i really um 
one so Poirot is is a, is a really fun and eccentric character, and I think that the movie wisely has him solve a very easy mystery in the beginning um, that Ben already talked about, which is um, the seance. How does the seance? How is the seance working? And he very quickly, like, I know exactly what's happening. I know who these people are. There's someone in the chimney that like rips the dude out of the chimney. Um, and I think that's a really smart move to be like, especially if you've never seen a Poirot movie before. This guy's really good at what he does. Yeah. And then what happens when he's faced with something that doesn't make any sense? Right. Mm -hmm. um, I really like also, he has this excellent speech, um, mini speech, where he's talking with, I think Tina Fey, but I don't remember if it's Tina Fey or Michelle Yeoh. But um, he's talking with them and he's saying like, uh, yes, what a gift it would be to know that there is something, because if there is something after, then all of it is, you know, real. My God, like, you know, all of all of everything that comes after is wonderful. We can believe in it. And he's like, but that's just not true. Mm -hmm. uh, and I really like the way that he illuminates on like, what a wonderful, like, he's like, do you, you have no idea how much I would love to be convinced. Yeah. Um, I would love to be convinced that there is something after. Yeah. I know that was really I, good. It, it is really good. He's really, he's got a lot of really good speeches in this film. And um, he, t he talks to, I, I like that. Because you brought up he, he, with Tina Fey, I we forgot to mention he's got a kind of a partnership with Tina Fey. Tina Fey is kind of Agatha Christie in this film. Sure. Uh, she's a she's an author who who has who has written about Poirot, and she's a murder mystery author. And um and he and she's the reason why Poirot is famous is because of a book that she wrote about him. And uh, he trusts her. And at the time, he makes her his partner. When he makes her his partner, he knows that she's not saying everything, but he's still like. I, I know I can trust you. I'm in a house full of people I cannot trust, including you, but I know I can trust you enough to help me to help me with some of these clues. So right. let's let's partner up and do this. I really appreciate mm -hmm. that because um, it gives it creates this kind of like I think Poirot is always in a position where he's where he can't trust anybody uh, in the in, in, in all the murders. But there's something different about here where it just feels more heightened because here he's just like. Not only, I, yeah, I can't trust anybody, but there's something else happening here that I can't quite put my finger on. I can't sure. trust myself either. Right. I know right. in Death on the Nile and Murder on the Express, I know I can trust myself, but I don't. I don't know if I can here. Mm -hmm. I think there's some really interesting stuff to be mined from this film. I really like this movie. Yeah, no, it's a good one. It's a really good one. Um, um go ahead, Ben, if you have something. What yeah, one of the things when I was watching this movie is I think because when I came into it, I had Orient Express on the mind. And the conclusion of that film is essentially everyone who was a suspect had a hand in the killing of Johnny Depp's character yeah. the whole time. Like everyone was the killer in that That's movie. That's the twist of the film is that everyone yeah. was the killer. Whereas this one, part of me was trying to, because like, I didn't get that it was the mom who did it. I knew the mom was kind of sus the whole movie, but the whole time I'm, try I'm trying to piece together. But what I also like about this movie is that it's not a everyone helped do it. It's that, oh, everyone had a, it's like everyone had a connection to her in some. Everyone the, was kind of complicit, almost kind of complicit in a way that they weren't aware of. Yeah, but there was, but they didn't all like band together and say, let's do the murder. It was like, let's band together to either expose, get rich, or cover up. Like the dad, the dad was mm -hmm. not, he was not a, like one, one of the, I really like the kid, by the way. Uh, there's mm -hmm. a kid in this film. He's, he's great. We haven't really talked yes. about him. Um, but his, his dad the doctor. is, the doctor, he's suffering from PTSD. Um, at the time, it was called shell shock, and he and the and because of that, he didn't want to become this kind of like house doctor for this girl. But he was kind of um, coerced into doing it. He didn't want um, to go back. He didn't want to go back because he the was war. the family doctor before the war. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then he went to the war, and when he came back, they asked, but he loved the mom. So yeah. he did it and he shouldn't have. Uh, yeah, and, and he it became yeah. very problematic because of that. Yeah. Um, but his son found out about the honey poisoning and was blackmailing him, but the mom thought it was the doctor, and it becomes like this kind of like tragic thing where like the son accidentally gets his gets his dad killed yeah. um because he was trying to protect him. Um and like that's where all the money went because the the family has no more money, it was because of all this blackmail. Um 
yeah, it was it's all such an interesting like web the film weaves with very with different mysteries that are all kind of stacked on top of each other but all kind of relate to the same thing mm -hmm. um it's quite it's quite well 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 uh structured and i different. really like the yeah. the emotional relationship between the doctor and his son Me too. Um, and that little boy is very good um mm -hmm. like really good uh poirot jr um yeah basically i yeah i thought i like i was prepared for borrow to be like you will be my ward i will teach you to mustache um <laughs> you see him he's like mustache. like the, he's like uh what is he like nine years old this movie he's 10 years old he has a mustache already no he's just he's got the little little wisps like the little pencil thin one yeah no he's he, he uh spirit gums a mustache on yeah no he does like uh because you know like they're not they're not that far away from like old Hollywood style. So like he just does the little like draws it on just a little. Oh pencil. sure, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, like, Morrow like clocks it. Like he's got the same kind of like um, OCD. I guess he's just got a heightened OCD um, that that he has, which is pretty which is pretty cool and creates this kind of connection between Poirot and the kid. Yeah, um, I I really like that. I I really love uh, the scene where the doctor gets to tell. Poirot about the war and it's something you can again like Branagh bringing subtlety to the performance without really saying a lot you know he's thinking about the seeing the exact same things in war yeah um and that, that again like being this post-war story being very effective whether it is like because to one extent or another everything happening with a lot of the characters is a post-war thing um this whole Halloween party thing that that sets up the the reason that they're there, the assistance to her, uh, uh, to Michelle Yeoh's character, they're there because of post war reasons. Um, the way that Venice is is celebrating Halloween is a post war thing. Um, even the way that the mom ends up needing to have the daughter with her is in response to like post war changes. Mm -hmm. of what's happening with her career and what she needs and like so everybody's kind of in this reactionary period of post-war to like varying degrees and i think that's really effective as a setting as well yeah i do too the opening kind of like shadow puppet uh oh, story so yeah i really i really like how that's filmed how that's done i i'm always a fan of the kind of shadow puppet thing we saw it in Candyman a couple of years back mm -hmm. um uh which i thought was really cool um so it's 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 really it's very effective as kind of like a horror um um a horror storytelling devi device to like uh put out some exposition for the setting um yeah. creating this idea that this was a what was it an orphanage during the war yes. yeah um, so it creates this uh it's the the child's something orphanage. i forget the name but like what it is that they're yeah. saying it is is like you know who it who it murders how it leaves its mark it's all like a part of that spooky ghost story which again like ties back into why ben says this is an effective halloween movie is that it's trying she's trying to play off that this ghost story is baked into the into this building yeah. um and like it is this one that they tell the story of and that's what really took her daughter that's what's taken all of them um yeah. But it did, but it doesn't, you know, hold any now, water. <laughs> now I'm because it's been a while since I've seen this movie. I just want to, I want to clarify something. Michelle Yeoh, Tina Fey, and the bodyguard—they were working together, but they didn't know what the mom was doing. They right, weren't right. aware of that, right? Right, right. So they were, they were also, they wanted to know. Oh, right, because the 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 bodyguard was the first officer on the scene mm -hmm. when the daughter died and he wanted Poirot's help to get the mom because he knew something was up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he wanted, he, yes, he, he, he wanted to revisit it because he thought he thought Poirot could see something he couldn't. Right. Right. Yeah. He didn't know um, it was the mom. Right. Um, but he knew, he knew something was off and he felt bad because that's like, he says like, you have a last case. I'm sure you had a last case too when you stopped being an officer. Mm -hmm. Um, is what he says to Poirot. And and so he asked him, you know, what was your last case? And his last case was this because he couldn't, it was the daughter. He that that lingered on him in a bad way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, his angle is very it's nasty in a sense to do it to Poirot, but it's it's very altruistic of like 
I want to get you there because like, I, I know you're going to solve this mm-hmm. in a way I couldn't. Yeah. Right. And, but it doesn't, but the reason why uh, Paro is betrayed by it, and he, there's kind of a, some of him, he kind of like appreciate, like not really appreciate, but like he, he understands what the, what the officer is doing. But Paro is, it has been very clear. Like he doesn't want to be in this world anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that, that really kind of hurts him that this person that he trusted would like force him back into this world. Yeah. But uh, he also he's also on better terms with the bodyguard at the end of the movie. Yeah, because like Poro kind of like he realizes that not everyone in the world is evil because this murder was an accident. Um, Not necessarily, but like the 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 person who actually did the quote unquote murdering did not know that's what they were doing. Um, And so he kind of like has this new lease on the world and uh, and and decides to take cases again. It creates this kind of like happy ending where he's Mm -hmm. like um, where he starts to solve the dude who's like. Who was it? Like his, like some some curse on his no, family. He thought there was a curse on his family, but it was the doctor who was killing his family off one by one. Yeah, and he's like starting to solve it. It's a good scene. The end. The yeah. End scene. yeah, he's uh, and he says with Tina Fey at the end that he's like because she's saying you're a believer now, and and he's he's much more valuing uh, what what they have, and he's like. Um, uh, ghosts, ghosts aren't real, but our but our memories are the real ghosts, mm-hmm. uh, and we have to live with them. Um, and and like taking in that moment and letting it go, um, and the new value he has for life because of it. I think that's all that's all done very well in the film. Yeah, yeah. I love how this movie doesn't make Perot a hundred percent like big time believer. But I do love how he kind of looks at life in a different way. Like when we first see him in the movie, I don't want to say he's sulking away. He's just he's just tired. He's just a guy trying to enjoy his retirement, but he's the world famous detective. So he has a line of people outside of his door trying to get his attention. Like we mentioned earlier about how his bodyguard pushes a guy off a bridge, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the end of the movie, he kind of I really enjoy how he's like, yes, he is a cynic. But at the end of the movie, yes, he's still he's not much of a asshole of a cynic, if that makes sense. Like he's much more willing, he's much more willing to accept because the the consensus after Death on the Nile and where we meet him here is that he is just done with the human species. He is like, Mm -hmm. I don't they're all evil. And I don't want to deal with them anymore. I don't want to be in the world of evil anymore. Yeah. But now he's more willing to believe that not everyone is there is good in the world and it can be protected um and also ghosts question mark yeah yeah <laughs> um, uh, going back to the shadow play bit um one of my favorite lines in the movie is there which is when poro's asking um tina Fey's character if the story is too scary for the little ones and she says we tell scary stories to make the world less scary and i thought that was a really good line that was yeah, me too that was a good line yeah, I'm. I'm. I wish I would have. I wish I could have rewatched the film before we did the review. But I think I think we covered a lot of. Do you have any more notes, Sparks? You want to no. go through? No. Um. I, I. I. It's not a film that I think needs a lot of uh uh t- picking apart. There's there's, in in a broad sense, I think all of the performances are very well done. I think yeah. the direction is top tier from Brownog. Um. I I think his consideration for both the genre that he's playing with and the actors is much higher than it's been in the previous Poirot outings and the pure setting of the story and the way it is allows for so much more to happen um, between the characters in Poirot than usually is. And that emotionality helps the movie sing in a way that, the other ones just haven't been able to hit. Do you want to use that as your final thoughts and give it a rating? Sure. Um, yeah, I think it's just overall really, really excellent, uh, both as a murder mystery film and as a kind of kind of horror light uh, ghost story, very much in the send up of like more older style films, the way they would do ghost story films, especially international uh, films. Um, yeah, I really, really like it. Uh, I think there's an old school feel to it and that that works. The cast is just very good all around. So yeah, 
High high praise. It's a nine. Nine. Wow. Uh, ben. I am also gonna give it a nine. Yeah. I really want. I really enjoyed this movie. It was scary enough. It was intriguing enough. The mystery I thought was played very well. The whole time I'm like guessing and second guessing myself. Like at one point I think I did clock the mom, but then I thought maybe not. I clocked the nun. Maybe it's constant. It's a constant back and forth. And when the reveals start happening and everything falls into place, it's like, Oh, your eyes go wide and you go, Oh my God, that makes perfect sense. Or that is a, you just, just seeing how the mystery plays out is very enjoyable. It's spooky enough and it just gets you thinking and it gets you feeling it. And, and while the ending is, it's a little, it's a heart, it's a heartbreaking ending, but then when you see Hercule go back into his, his group, he gets his groove back essentially. Like when he's helping that guy at the end of the film, I really enjoyed it. And this, I still, this is a solid Halloween movie. This is a solid murder mystery movie. I actually want to watch this again next Halloween. Cause I think this is a really good Halloween viewing movie. So yeah, nine fantastic film. Yeah. A lot of the, um, kind of the true test of whether or not a murder mystery film is good or not is whether or not you can watch it again, knowing the twists, knowing the turns, knowing who the murder, who the murderer is, is there enjoyment to still be had um, when you don't have to guess anymore. And I think, I think haunting in Venice uh, is one of those that you would want to go back to and see again, because the, kind of like the how they did it is very interesting and seeing all these character interactions and um and you can kind of like go back and piece together things you didn't see again um i i i i did thoroughly enjoy it i i knew it was a winner the, the moment i saw it um it's such a i, I remember turning to 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 zara at the middle of the movie and being like this is really good like shockingly so almost um I think there's some solid like spookiness too to it. There's some um, there's a scene in the kitchen with like the like the the the, the is it blood that like makes like a letter um, in the wall? No, it's uh it's the rain is pouring down and the yeah, rain yeah. is the rain is pouring on the outside in a way where it forms the M. Yeah, I think there's some there's some really good stuff like that that happens throughout. There's some good spookiness in the film as well. Um, I don't think this film is scary per se, but um, I, I think there's some solid like spooks. Uh, you made me little, think of small ass you made, spooks. You made me think of um, the the hash slinging slasher episode of SpongeBob because there's the part where Squidward's trying to recount the story elements that he told SpongeBob earlier, and he's like, "And the ooze, the walls would ooze green slime." No, wait, that's not part of it. <laughs> I was like, "Wait, <laughs> blood on the walls, blood oozing down the walls." That didn't happen. It's um, been months since I've seen this. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, there, there's spooky. There is spooky stuff in it. Um, I think one of the most effective bits, honestly, is is um, both him chasing the child that isn't mm-hmm. there, and also the uh, the faucet bit is very good. Yeah. Where he tries to turn it on, nothing happens. He gets spooked, and he's like, "Oh, I, the the water's hot now. It must have been on this whole time." Uh, my illusion. And then he talks to the kid for a while. The kid's like, "You left the tap on." And after he thought he turned it off and it's like, when was it on? When was it off? It's never clear. Yeah. yeah. There's some good stuff. There's some good stuff. It's, it's a, it's a solid, small ass spooky film. Um, yeah. uh, I, I kind of thought I would give it an eight going into this, but I think I'm kind of with you guys. I think it's a nine. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a, it's a solid nine out of 10. I think. Honestly, if the, if the mystery itself wasn't so shallow, which is fine. Again, I don't think that's a problem for this movie. Um, but because the mystery itself is not too dense, uh, that's the only thing that I think pulls it back a little like mystery wise, comparatively purely on mystery. Really, we're talking about, uh, you know, what Agatha Christie wrote in the original for murder on the Orient express murder on the Orient express is a much more compounding, interesting mystery. Yeah. Um, but in execution, this is a stronger film. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think this is possibly the 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 height of what Poirot can be and so hopefully we can get even more of I I don't need a 10 out of 10 I just like if you can keep it around this avenue I'm going to be a lot happier with the future of the Poirot films mm-hmm. should they I, I, I do want him to get I do want him to have another go and I want it to be just as ambitious I don't necessarily think he should do another horror but I I would like to see if he wants to give it a shot 
whatever he wants to do. I'm going to be there for it. Um, and I hope yeah. it's, I hope it's just as good. I'm, I'm definitely like, like fully refreshed on, yeah, I'll give it another chance if this is the way we're going to go about things. If we're going to, if we're just going to get more creative and more engaged. And I do think that there's just an amount of, it's always tough and not everybody can, not everybody can direct and act, especially as a lead in a film. It's mm -hmm. not easy. Uh, I acknowledge that and not, not everybody's good at doing it. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for Bronog being much more comfortable with what he's doing as a performer with Poirot, which allows him to think more about what movie he's making than I think where he started. Yeah. Um, all right. So nines across the board, guys. Excellent. Um, this was a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much for doing this with me. Um, for context, Ryan also really enjoyed it. He just didn't feel like he had a lot to say about it. Very cool. Um, all right, so that'll do it, guys. That 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 that's a haunting in Venice. Fake cinephile. Um, there's going to be a lot more cinephiles coming out in the near in the in the near months. Now that this is the, is this the first thing we're recording post strikes? Yes, but it'll actually release before other cinephiles that we recorded during the strikes. <laughs> Interesting. Well, guys, I just to celebrate. This is the first recording that we have done post strikes uh we're very excited that the strikes are are over especially with that it looks like everyone's gotten the fair deal that we felt they deserved that everyone felt they deserved um great job everyone on the lines um so stay tuned for more things coming out a lot more stuff is going to be coming be sure to check out fakenerpodcast.com for where you can find all the links to every single one of our shows that we do uh so you can keep up at the um extensive stuff that is going to be coming out in the next couple of months um to see a bunch of to, to kind of catch up on what we've been up to during during the strikes um so that'll that'll, that'll so be sure to do that of course you can check out our patreon or tpop if you like to support us financially greatly appreciate it once again that's all on fakenerpodcast.com it's all linked below as well um thank you so much guys for listening watching and what have you um you can find us on twitter instagram and facebook all at fakener podcast I'm at BT McClure on Instagram and Twitter. I also write for AtomicGeekdom.com. Ben? Well, I'm Ben Magnet at 20s, or I'm Ben Magnet 27 at Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Threads. You can also find me writing for Old School Gamer Magazine, Fusion Gamer Magazine, GoNintendo.com, and playing Mary Frankenstein in Dean Dark. And Sparks. Uh, you can find me just realizing that we put the horror logo up for this one uh, at Sparks Witty on Instagram, Twitter, S P A R K Z Witty. That was by design. No, I, I I believe that. I just I now I have to orient in my brain that I'm like this one goes in the horror intro category. <laughs> uh, all right, guys, uh, thank you so much for watching and listening. Like this video, subscribe to this channel, subscribe on all your on podcatcher of choice. Like uh, a rate and review wherever you get us, we greatly appreciate it. Till next time, guys, stay fake nerds. <laughs>